Welcome again, everyone. We're so glad you're with us today. There was a university that was doing a reception for the incoming freshmen at their school. They had it all set up so that they could meet faculty and administration people and they could enjoy some light refreshments. And there was a young freshman there going around sampling all the food and he was talking to people as he went around and he started talking with this older lady that was there at one of the food tables and she asked him, how do you like the university so far? What's, what's been your impression so far? He said, I love it. It's great. I love the campus. I love the facilities. I've been able to meet several of my professors. They seem like they're great people. He said, the only reservation I have is the college president seems like a real old fuddy-duddy. He just doesn't seem to be with the times at all. And maybe he, he needs to go ahead and transition out because he just doesn't stay, seem to be up to date with the times. She looked a little shocked. She said, uh, young man, do you know who I am? He said, no, I don't. She says, well, I am the college president's wife. He said, oh. He said, ma'am, do you know who I am? She, he's, she said, no, I don't know who you are. He said, well, good. And he took off and left really fast. Our identity matters, doesn't it? How people know us, how we present ourselves, what people connect us with, especially as Christ followers, really makes a difference. And that's part of what we're looking at today as we continue our series, Navigating Our New Normal. We're learning from Paul from the letter that he wrote to the church at Philippi. And so far, we focused on how we need to learn to pray with thanksgiving in this new normal that we're in. And we need to learn to focus on the positive, even in the midst of all the trials that we're facing. And today, we're going to learn of our need to identify with Christ a high priest that understands our struggles. In Hebrews 4, verse 15, it says this about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So because Jesus is who he is, and because he's faced every kind of trial or temptation or struggle that we will ever face, and he did it without sin, then our goal as Christ's followers should be to so closely unite with him and identify with him that we can navigate through our new normal with the, the victory that God wants us to have in the process. So we're picking up today in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, and we're going to look at how Paul identifies for us four ways that we can better identify with Christ. The first way is this. We have to start the process by uniting with Christ. We need to unite with Christ. Look at verse 27. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. He's talking about how when we are in Christ, identified with Christ, then it automatically affects our relationship with each other, with everyone else who is identified with Christ. I'm so glad we're taking that first step to come back to our campuses next Sunday, July the 19th. It's a hard step to take. We're going to have to use a lot of precautions, but I think it's a needed step right now because if we could do this well, if we can do a good job with it and, and, and do it with the right attitude, then we could be an even greater example to our world around us of what it means to be connected to Christ and to each other. 
I am so thankful Lakeshore didn't just wake up this past couple of weeks as a woke church. Uh, that's a, a phrase a lot of people are using now, and it carries with it the idea that you're, you're up to date and in tune and in touch, and uh, you've got the right understanding of things, that, that you're woke. Well, Lakeshore has been woke for years when it comes to relationships based on race and ethnicities. Our church has been diverse for many, many years, bringing people together from different races and ethnicities, all different backgrounds, together in unity in Christ. That doesn't mean we've always done it well. It doesn't mean we've already, always gotten everything right all the time. It's a constant uh, effort to, to work through these differences and, and work on how we need to, to honor and respect each other in every way as Christ would want us to. It's an ongoing process, but this is not new to Lakeshore. And that's why I believe we have a great opportunity to, wit, to be a witness to, to our immediate community and to our, our state and to our nation and even to the world of what God can do when we connect with Christ the way we're supposed to, we identify with him properly how that changes how we identify with each other. And it can help bring us together in unity as one in Christ. Jesus prayed that his followers would have that kind of unity. In John chapter 17, beginning with verse 20, he had been praying for those disciples that were with him at the time. And then he shifts the prayer in verse 20. And here's what he says. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, he says, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Jesus prayed that his followers that identified with him would, by the glory and the power of God, be brought together in unity as one. Now, he, he acknowledges in that prayer that that is made possible by the power and the glory of God, uh, the spirit that he gives us. We can't do this in the flesh the way we're supposed to do it. And that's why the world's efforts to make this happen so often come short. It's because we need a power greater than ourselves to transform us in our hearts and our minds and our actions so that we can truly function in unity because of our identity with Christ. Paul wrote about that in Galatians 3, beginning with verse 26. He said this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Okay, so he's saying all of us are brought into one family as children of God through our faith in Jesus Christ, our identifying with Jesus because of our faith in him. He says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, here's what you've done when you get baptized into Christ. You've clothed yourselves with Christ. He, he says in verse 28, here's the result of that. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For all, you are all one in Christ Jesus. What is it that can really bring us together in unity? 
It's our common identity with Christ that when we're baptized into Christ, no longer are we seen as just our outward flesh. Now, our outward flesh is covered by Christ. We see each other in Christ through the eyes of God. And we are one in a family together with him. Jesus Christ wants us to have that kind of unity in the body of Christ. And I'm so thankful that here at Lakeshore, we've been able to enjoy that kind of unity for a long time. And we need to keep working on it and doing a better job with it because the world more than ever needs to see us doing that. Here's what he's saying. When the church is unified, God is glorified. That's the result of his people being in unity together as one. We are part as a church of a movement called the Restoration Movement. It was a movement to restore the church back to the pattern of the New Testament. And there was a slogan that the early leaders of the Restoration Movement used that I really like. Here's what they said. In essentials, unity. In matters of opinion, liberty. In all things, love. In other words, on the essentials like Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. We need to be totally unified in agreement on that. But there are things that are just matters of opinion that we need to allow liberty in. But in all things, we need to treat each other with love. And that's how you can maintain unity as followers of Christ. Because of your common identity with him and your loving God and loving others because of Jesus. In Ephesians 6.12, we are reminded of something really important in this new normal time that we're dealing with. There's a lot of division in our country. There's a lot of uh, factions and anger and bitterness that seems to be being expressed right now. And I can understand some of that. But here's what we need to remember as Christ followers if we identify with him. In Ephesians 6.12 it says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is a spiritual battle. It cannot be won in the flesh. So we have to focus on not attacking people. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. We need to focus on doing battle with Satan in the spiritual realm. And the starting place of winning that battle is identifying yourself with Christ. Connecting with him. Coming under his lordship. And committing to following his teachings. So that's the first thing. We have to make sure that we identify with Christ. The second thing is we need to be willing, if we identify with Christ, to suffer for Christ. And so, so many people want to identify with Christ without any sacrifice, without giving up anything, without having to suffer anything at all. And what I love about Scripture is this, is how honest and forthright and truthful it is about the fact that to follow Christ does not ever mean that everything's going to go well all the time. It never indicates that if we're Christ followers, nothing bad is going to happen to us anymore. There was a woman who listened to a preacher for the first time uh, preach a sermon on suffering. And he, he gave so good a description of it and details about it and gave examples of it in Scripture on, on how Christians had to suffer over the years and historical references to it. And after the sermon was over, the woman went up to the preacher and said this, I never knew what it meant to suffer until I heard you preach. <laughs> Obviously, 
I think she was trying to compliment the preacher. I hope that's what she was doing. If we preach the gospel truthfully, if we, if we share it in all of its truth, then what we're going to share is this. To follow Christ will oftentimes mean that we have to go through some suffering. In Philippians 1, beginning with verse 28, Paul references that. He says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and, and that by God. For it's been granted to you, listen to this, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul's saying to them at Philippi, he's saying to Christians, followers of Christ all over the world for all time, that to identify with Christ means sometimes you're going to have to identify with him in his sufferings that he went through. Paul said, I'm going through them. You are aware of that now. And you're going through some struggles right now. And you need to know that's perfectly normal. And 1 Peter 4, Peter told us this beginning with verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now I want to stop there for a minute. He says you shouldn't be surprised as a Christ follower when you have to go through some hard things. Sue Ann and I often walk or run on a trail near our house near Percy Priest Lake. And on that trail, on the way back out the route that we usually go, we pass by a sign that says this, expect the unexpected. Now, it's on the way down to the lake, and it's got a, a symbol like a life jacket on it. And what it's doing is warning people when they're fishing or boating or around the water to be alert all the time. But I always laughed at that phrase, expect the unexpected. I said to Sue Ann last time we saw it, before the pandemic hit, I said, that's so silly, because as soon as you expect it, it's not the unexpected anymore. The sign doesn't make any sense. It becomes expected as soon as you start expecting it. So it's not the unexpected. And we laughed and joked about it. But boy, have we thought about it again since the pandemic. We weren't expecting that unexpected at all. We didn't expect everything to happen that's been happening. We didn't expect after it started that it would go this long, right? We didn't expect it. And that's what Paul is saying in the Philippian letter. That's what Peter is saying in the passage I just read is we shouldn't be surprised by things that happen that we didn't expect necessarily, and, and we didn't want them to happen, but we shouldn't be surprised by them. We're just being more identified with Christ, who went through really hard things. He went on to say in verse 13, But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you, will be, you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of the glory of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So, of course, the pandemic has made us change some things. It's necessary for us to. Even when we come back on campus, uh, at our campuses next week, it's going to be different. We're going to have to make some changes. We're going to have to take some precautions that aren't the normal before the pandemic hit. They are the new normal. But, friends, that's not that much to ask, is it? For us as Christ followers to be identified with him, he went through so much more than that, sacrificing for us. 
aren't we going to be willing to make some sacrifices for him, for his cause, to advance the work of the gospel of Christ? It's not asking too much. So we need to be willing to suffer for Christ. The third thing is we need to learn to behave like Christ. Paul goes on in chapter 2 of Philippians, beginning with verse 1, to say this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, do you have any of those things as benefits from being connected to Christ, identifying with Christ? Are you able to have any encouragement from being united with him? Is there any comfort from the love that he gives you? Is there any tenderness and compassion of God that you've experienced by being connected to him through Christ? He says, all right, you see the benefits of being connected to Christ. He says, then here, here's what you need to do. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. There's that unity again that he wants. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. He's saying to be identified with Christ means to humble yourself and to value others. To humble yourself so that you can value others the way Christ values you. He humbled himself for us. He's saying to be identified with Christ means we humble ourselves for others. It's a step that is necessary if we're really going to wear the name of Jesus. This humility that he's calling for and this valuing of others. If we can start acting more like Christ in those areas, then we'll better represent him to the culture around us that we're trying to make Christ attractive to in the process. We can, if we start behaving more like Christ, say with Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, then follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The way we're acting and behaving in this new normal, does it well represent Christ so that we could tell people, if you want to be like Jesus, you could follow my example. Are we doing the complaining and the griping and the grumbling? Are we being mean-spirited about things? Then we're not representing Christ. And we couldn't honestly say, follow me as I follow Christ. But if we are doing this with humility and we're valuing others through this process enough to sacrifice some ourselves for their good, then we could honestly say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And that leads to the last thing. It's really connected closely to that one. And that is, in order to behave like Christ, we need to start to learn to think like Christ. That our minds be transformed and changed so that we start thinking like Jesus thinks. Look at verse 5 of chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? The same mindset. The same way of thinking that Jesus has. Because our thinking controls our actions. Our thinking controls our responses. Our thinking controls how we treat other people. So if we're going to think like Christ, he says, in your relationships with each other, you've got to think like Jesus for those relationships to be what they ought to be. And here's what he says about how Christ thinks. Look at verse 6. 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, there's that humility, by coming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. To think like Jesus is to remember how he thought of us, that he did not consider his equality with God. He wasn't just Uh, second to God the Father. He wasn't like vice president in his role. He was God in, in his existence. And he laid that aside and humbled himself and came onto this earth and clothed himself with the flesh and became obedient to the plan of the Father to redeem us from our sin. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death on the cross. He said, think like Jesus in your relationship with each other. That's what Jesus was willing to do for us. And so we need to be willing, thinking like that, to be humble and to value others and not to judge anyone by outward appearance or the flesh or or any of those worldly judgments that we place on people, but instead to see them through the eyes of God who loves them so much that he sent his son Jesus here to die for them all. If we could learn to value each other like that, think of the unity it would bring to our world. But the power to be transformed to think like that comes from being connected to Christ. As people see us navigating this new normal, will they find us thinking and acting like Jesus? It all begins with connecting to him. It continues then as we spend time with Jesus, we grow to be more like him. It is a work in process. We're not there. We haven't arrived, but we can't ever get there if we don't start by connecting to Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives. If you need to take a step like that, if you're ready to make Jesus the Lord of your life, please message us. We'll follow up with you. The, the step you need to take, if you haven't taken it yet, is to go ahead and be baptized into Christ. That's when you clothe yourself with Christ and start that new process of being transformed by his power. He gives you his spirit to, to empower that transformation so that we can really represent Christ well in this new normal. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, I want to close with this verse. Peter and John have been arrested. And after they were arrested, they were given an opportunity to to say a few words. And they began to preach the gospel when they were given that opportunity and, and tell about they had just healed someone. And they were talking about how it was by the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ that they that this healing had occurred. And they're they're preaching Jesus risen and alive. And people were amazed at their preaching. It says in verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. It was evident that they identified themselves with Jesus Christ and others knew them by their identifying themselves with Christ. And they saw that that's what gave them power and courage and strength to be both loving and bold for Jesus. I pray that we could all 
represent Jesus so well that when people are around us, they will clearly be able to say to each other, it's obvious. That man, that woman has been spending time with Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in Christ we can be transformed so powerfully that we can overcome the things in our culture and in the world that would separate us and cause division and turmoil and hatred. And Father, by the power of your Spirit, we can overcome those things and be brought to complete unity by identifying with Jesus. Father, thank you for the transforming power that Jesus has for our lives. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.